For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us conduct ourselves becomingly as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As for the man who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not for disputes over opinions. One believes he may eat anything, while the weak man eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who abstains, and let not him who abstains pass judgment on him who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for God is able to make him stand. Peace be with you, the reader.
be to you who reads the good tidings and to all the people. Good morning. We have had a beautiful two days with Deacon Stephen Muse for the marriage retreat, and we're blessed with a third day, and uh, he is going to offer the homily. So please uh, give him your undivided attention both up here and in your heart as well. And uh, again, it's a great blessing to have you in our midst and to be able to... uh, not only glean from your wisdom, but yesterday to come celebrate with you as well. Thank you. Thank you. I hate to start out disagreeing with your priest right from the beginning, but please don't pay attention to me. Pay attention with all your heart to Christ, and then uh, something will come. Uh, Christ is in our midst. I want to tell you three stories um, that relate to three instructions in the scripture this morning. The first one is related to forgiveness, which is, in a way, as much a stumbling block to us as the cross is, because the cross is forgiveness, and it's a stumbling block because we want justice. And we want things to make sense. And the cross goes beyond both of these because it has to do with mercy and justice would be expected. And it's not really rational. Forgiveness is a little bit like that. Um, How many of you have ever heard of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee in South Africa? A couple of people. This was a remarkable... uh, effort and experiment in South Africa when Mandela became president and there had been such racial divide for so long and so much bloodshed and horror. Uh, He wanted to find a way to unite the country and to get off the seesaw of one thing after another when things don't change. So Archbishop Tutu and some others became a group that got on buses and went all over the country into the little villages and they would hear basically uh, confessions. It was a kind of special court and if people would come and tell the crime that they did and the victims, families of the crimes would be there, they would face the victims and then the determination would be made what to do with them. So this took many, many months and it was really hard on the people that listened to the confessions. Um, But one story that comes from that gives us a taste of of this uh, irrationality and yet deep um, mystery of the cross that's in forgiveness. There was a mother and her husband and her son had been uh, murdered and set on fire uh, and cut into pieces and left in the dirt by the uh, police. And She was African. These were the white police. So when the captain of the police was called in front and he began to tell the story of what he did, and he went through each piece of it, 
was heartrending. She's listening to the murderer of her husband and her, her son tell exactly what he did. So at the end of it, they said to her, what do you want from him? And her verdict was, I want you to go to the place where you burned up my son and gather up some of the dirt and put it in a jar and bring it back to me. And then, I want you to come see me once a week for the rest of my life. Because I can see I'm a good mother. And I can see that you haven't had very good mothering. Think about that. What's the cost of that for her? And what is the effect of that, not only on the captain, but everybody within hearing distance of this story of this woman? Christ is in our midst. So forgiveness is over the top. It's irrational. It's beyond comprehension. The deeper the tragedy, the greater the, greater the passion bearing to forgive. But there's also another element in it too because if we don't forgive, we can, be, we can be the judge if we want. We can hold on to what ought to be. person needs to pay. We can keep the war going. But if we do, then just like in Genesis 3, we try to take something without the life of God in it, without a blessing. We become a slave to it. So you know what someone asked Martin Luther King Jr.'s father after his son was murdered? Don't you hate the man that killed your son? He said, no. I don't hate him. Because if I hated him, it would make me a slave to him. And I will not be a slave to any man. So there's freedom and forgiveness. Costly. Think of the ascetical effort at one level. And it's even beyond asceticism because what human being can do what is impossible for a human being? No one. No one can. So Christ has to be in this. He has to kind of call us by name in the heart or we can't do this. So forgiveness is really about freedom from the mistake of Genesis 3 where we traded intimacy with God for pride and we traded God's judgment for ours. I will, I will be the judge. This is slavery. It kills us. And it makes us kill other people because of that. And it doesn't stop. It starts with Cain and Abel and it keeps going. So then there's a second one now as we, on this Forgiveness Sunday. Um, if you're fasting, if you're, if you're doing battle with that which makes us a, sl- a slave to 
the pleasure of what we consume. Don't let anybody know about it. Don't let your face be disfigured. Hide your spiritual struggle. Um, once I went to see this, uh, I was at Korea Monastery in Athens, and I went to see uh, uh, the abbess there, Philothea. Uh, and we were having a conversation. I guess I was the rich young ruler without realizing it. Um, I wasn't intending that, but I asked her, I said, what is the human response to the, to the divine initiative? What is it that we are called to do? And I kept putting this question to her various ways. And she said something to me I've heard before, but it went into my heart this time. She said, uh, first she said, he came to us. You ever heard that? <laughs> you try so hard to figure out what, what do I need to do? What more do I need to do? I fast, I come to church, I do all these things. What more? What more? What more? Why do I want to know what more? Because I'm in love? Or because I'm trying to be a good boy and get Jesus to like me? Well, she said, first of all, he came to you. So, yeah, okay, you're struggling to figure out how to get to him, what to do. He's already came to you. Gosh, where did he come? Because in my mind and in my human self, I'm always trying to do something better. I was trying to figure out how am I going to give this homily to you. Finally, I said, Holy Mother, just help me. Well... Mother Philothée said, what we need is when the doors of heaven shut, we want to hope that we blow under like the dust as the thief on the cross did. Think about that. No matter what we do in terms of our fasting or anything else we do in response if it's, if it's not simply a response to the love of Christ who came into our heart at a depth that allowed that mother to say that to the captain and Martin Luther King's father to realize what, he's, what the essence of slavery is. Unless we're doing everything that we're doing on our pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the altar to encounter Him, to receive Him into us. Unless we're doing that out of love, out of something that has no reason for being other than its own sake, we're making the mistake of thinking that we're getting there by our own effort. So the abbess sent me a, a real gift to say, goodness, who gets, to, who gets into the kingdom of God by what they did? Nobody. We get into the kingdom of God because our Christ loves us so much that from the time creation begins to the time it ends, He gives us His life again and again and again. Again and again and again. He never stops going farther than the mother went with the captain. Okay, and then the third is one of my favorites. Um, that the Jewish philosopher Martin Buber tells. I bet a lot of you have heard it. It's a story.
story of how when the rabbinical students go to their, their class at the yeshiva for the first time each year, the old rabbi who's been there for many years always begins each class the same way. He's getting old. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Hal. Our God is one. And you must love your God with all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your heart. The biblical heart, like the orthodox heart, is the mind united with the body until the heart begins to tremble before the Lord. He says, you should write this on the doorposts. You should think about it when you get up in the morning. This should be on your lips and like the Jesus prayer, everywhere you go. Write it on your heart so you never, ever forget it. Well, every year, the smartest, brightest, most talented yeshiva student always shoots up a hand and the rabbi has learned to wait for this these days it's a little different so he just sort of says yo, rib and he knows what the question is going to be it's going to be what good does it do to write God's word on your heart let's put it in the heart that's where it matters and the old rabbi closes his eyes and he sighs and the pause between his in-breath and his out-breath is longer each year as he gets old. The hesekiah, the stillness between his breath where he stops. And then when he takes a breath he looks at this bright young man and he says, My child, it is not in human power put the word of God in the heart. Therefore, we write it on the heart. And then when the heart breaks, those words drop in. So we're coming to liturgy. The sun rises and it goes down. And how many times have we seen the sun rise and go down? Thousands of times. We hardly pay attention But every once in a while we realize it's a complete gift that the sun comes up and it goes down. And every once in a while we realize when we're here that we're on a journey. You're going to walk toward Jerusalem in just a few minutes toward the cross. And he'll be waiting for you there. And he will call you by name. And just like we can't put the Word of God in our heart, we can't even recognize Christ any more than Mary Magdalene who loved Him and knew Him. And she saw Him alive in the garden. And she thought He was the gardener. She could not out of her human power recognize who Christ is. But the moment He called her by name, God. And the priest, who is Christ giving you himself, will call your name. And 
I don't know if you do this, but when the deacon receives the body and blood, behold, I approach Christ, our immortal King and God, with my head on the ground, empty, without a hope of being received into the doors of heaven except like the thief, as dust. If there's anything on me that's ready to show my portfolio to God as I receive that, even if it's, gee, I had a good confession, or I've really kept the fast this year and I've read all the prayers. If there's anything like that, is that what you want to think about when you meet your beloved? No. You want to go there and say, I'm yours, my Lord. Do with me whatever you want. I hold nothing back. If I hold something back, I'm still in the Garden of Eden at Genesis 3, afraid to come forth when he says, My name, where are you? Are you here? I want to have communion with you. Are you here? And what will you say at that moment? the most important moment of your life that we'll get a chance to have. And then when we turn around from having received Him into us and He receiving us into Him, the moment we turn around, we see in, the, in this room the faces of all those He loves. And what response can I have to you whom He loves after I I have said to Him, I'm yours, do with me whatever you want. And I turn around and I see you. The only possible response I can have is this. Forgive me. Because I stand before Christ. And what will that do? What did it do to the captain of the guard who would never ever be able to forgive himself for what he did? He who's made in the image of God. What will it do to stand face to face with Jesus Christ Logos of God, who is so humble, he blows into our heart like the thief blows under the doors of heaven. And that dust reaches everywhere we're afraid to go, and out of it springs the plant of our eternal life. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.